In this week's episode of From the Top... You are young. Life has been kind to you. You will learn. <laughs> I'm like, oop, and I oop. oop. Oh, man. <laughs> Do you need to pour yourself a drink before we start this? <laughs> you know. The second it came out of my mouth, I was like, that, that sounds like something. What does that sound like to me? Oh, yeah. Sugar daddy. Sugar daddy. Okay. What is your shaving routine? That's a very personal question. And is I'll, it? I mean, I'll, I don't know. I like, mean, are, do we, <laughs> is it like, do we shave the legs? I'm living my, my best life and I haven't shaved my legs. Well, okay. So I do shave my legs if it's like uh, an event that I know that I want to shave them for. So like if I'm going, you know, course, wearing yeah. cute dresses, going out, doing whatever. But like, I have kind of let the forest reclaim the land almost. Like I've <laughs> very just kind of like that. I was waxing for a minute. Then I went, you know what? That's a lot. Who's looking at my legs? Forget you. Like if you're looking, you, you got bigger things to worry about. I'm kind of a sadist when it comes <laughs> to my shaving. I'm a weirdo. I dry shave my face. <gasps> Whoa. I dry shave my face and people look at me with horror. Like they can't listen to me shave. And this stems from me doing theater. Out of time. I just need to, I just need to quickly get this off. Like it's fine. Have, I just learned to live with it and my skin has grown the callus that it needs. <laughs> oh, did you cut yourself a lot when you first were doing that? No. And actually what? it's my favorite. This is the next best thing. Um, I love a more dull razor because it doesn't cut. I have less issues. My what? hair has just grown to understand that this is how we do it. Wow. So, I know. Call me weird. Shaving was always weird to me. And like, I wrote this poem in my like emotional college days ah! when <laughs> it was like shaving, shaving means like you have to accept every inch of who you are and you have to carefully caress like every bit and you have to look yourself in the mirror and and da, 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 shaving is like truth or some bullshit. Oh my God. <laughs> so, yeah. But I actually think Yay. that's kind of a cute segue. I love it. Shaving equals truth. I am. The repercussions. I'm on this train. Let's go. Ooh, I think we should take it. From, from the, the top. From the top. A five, six, seven. Tonight, tonight there's room for anything. Oh, seasons Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of From the Top, your favorite musical theater cast and review. My name is Mary. And I'm Stephen. Would you like a meat pie? Oh, meat pies, meat pies, Mrs. Love. It's meat pies. Uh, I can't say that they're good, but mm, you can put it in your body. You can put it in your body. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I Like 10% of our listeners are in the UK and we are. I am so sorry. You know. I understand now if we're not invited there. <laughs> well, folks, uh, welcome back to another episode. Uh, tonight on The Marquee, we are talking about a musical that is an incredible show. Powerful music, powerful themes, uh, shaving equals truth. We are talking about Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street. What if none of their souls were saved? They went to their maker impeccably shaved. By Sweeney, by Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street. The line 
this right away in the show. I haven't sat with a show for a minute. Mm-hmm. I have not. So I think I've grown. I've matured. I've become, <laughs> I've become a, a, a noble and a sage in Ooh. my in my years. The line that's now sticking out to me, <laughs> it, it would not have in my early 20s. You are young. Life has been kind to you. You will learn. <laughs> I'm like, oop. And I oop. <laughs> and I ooped because that's a mood. <laughs> I'm like, actually, Sweeney, you got me. You got this. Dang it. You, you know what? You do you. <laughs> How dare you peg me so accurately? Rude. Josh Groban, can we just say what an excellent selection for Sweeney Todd? That, I'm sorry. It truly was. It was, oh. it was beautiful, beautiful casting. So good. Part. So yeah. good. It and Annalise Ashford. Oh, my God. Especially for Sweeney. It it toes that line of opera and not. Oh, totally. And so put, casting him is is truly perfect. Yeah, um, so good. what was it? Len, oh, I don't know how to say it. It's like Karayu. 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 Sure. <laughs> <laughs> You know, but Annalie Ashford, like she's come to be her own sort of character actress oh God, known so on good. the Broadway scene itself. And like, ugh, so good. So good. And then to take the mantle from Miss Angela Lansbury, pour one out for her homies, oh God. you know, so good. Mm. I guess uh, it's that time to ask for a synopsis. <gasps> oh, um, would you, you know, I always feel so bad. Would you like me to give a synopsis of what I feel this show is? I would love to hear it. So Stephen, in three sentences or less, oh, shit. Okay, give, oh, it. well, oh no. <laughs> give me the synopsis of Sweeney Todd. Okay, well, as we said, this is not necessarily my favorite show on the planet. So I'm going to try to be, I'm going to try to be good. <laughs> and like, an alleged aesthetician turned criminal returns to London to find his former life is gone. Uh, mentally snapping, obsessed and with tunnel vision, codependency issues aside with his new partner in crime slash crazy girl next door. <laughs> he kills two birds with one stone in solving their problems <laughs> while seeking revenge on the man presumed to have ruined his life uh, and uh, getting revenge on all those that deserve and don't deserve it uh, because in the end, we all deserve to die. Oh, that's... I thought that was great, actually. I kind of oh, like that. Oh, and then that. a Shyamalan twist at the end. Oh, you gotta add an M. Night Shyamalan ding dong yeah. plot twist. Yeah, yes. exactly. One thousand <laughs> percent. I really, yeah, I need to do that more because it's really not <laughs> fair to throw that onto you the whole time. I mean, but uh, in 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 contrast, though, you're the one that does all of the research for these shows, so the least sure. I can do is give you a synopsis. <laughs> if, you know, if the least I ask for is three sentences. This, that's all the work I can give you. <laughs> Thanks, Mary. Oh, my God. Bless you. I'm do you want to meet Pie? I'm such a bad friend. Oh, my God. I could hear the city bells ring, whatever I would do. No, there's no place like London, Mr. Todd, sir. You are young. Life has been kind to you. You will Also, I apologize. I'm still getting over a thing so my cackling will turn into coughing real fast oh air canada <laughs> oh i'll burn it to the ground Ugh. anyway 
If you want that full story, tune in for our show notes episode of Little Shop of Horrors. Can we also for two seconds talk about how it was weird to go from Little Shop of Horrors into this show? Because I feel like this is just sort of a weird continuation and I'm seeing a lot of the same themes. You know, it's interesting because we 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 just go from a, a Venus flytrap that drinks blood and eats people to, you know, a Victorian barber that likes to kill people. So, I mean, yeah. you know. One little shop of horrors to another. You exa- know? But really, Stephen, uh, <laughs> that was so good. <laughs> Well, okay, I guess we should talk about the people that we're working with. We need a cast list for Sweeney Todd. So I am using, again, one of my favorite websites, mtishows.com. Can I just say really quick, though, before we do this, there is a school version of Sweeney Todd. There is a school version of Sweeney Todd. Um, If my child were to do this, there would be a little bit of, like, happiness in my soul watching that little (laughs) shit get their throat slit. (laughs) Every night, you're like, oh, I told you to make your bed, Andrew. Good for you. Good Good for you, you. Sweeney. (laughs) (laughs) You get him. (laughs) Because I think it just speaks to the the level of humanity that parents seem to be denied a little bit. Because like when parents, (laughs) as a parent, it's like, oh, well, you're supposed to love your kids and support your kids and do all the things. You look at a child and you go, I have told you six times to do a thing. And you have told me six times basically to go. So my my only retribution is to watch you die on stage. And you know what? Part of me is probably okay with that. Part of me is a little happy. Part of me is a little happy that that happened. So uh, again, mtishows.com. Cast size is medium, 11 to 20 performers. The cast type is an ensemble. There are no dance requirements in this show, which is uh, yay for me. There are um, nine principal roles and then, you know, everybody else is kind of the ensemble. So we might as well start with our, you know, titular character. We're going to start with Sweeney Todd. A wrongfully imprisoned barber seeking to right the wrongs committed against him. He is Joanna's father, singularly focused on taking bloody revenge. Our story's tormented protagonist. Uh, Following behind Sweeney Todd, we have Mrs. Lovett, an entrepreneurial and um, amoral meat pie shop owner. She falls in love with Todd and turns his desire for revenge into a profitable business venture. The next on our call sheet is going to be Anthony Hope. A naive and youthful sailor returning to London. He helps Todd return to London and unexpectedly falls in love with Joanna. Joanna is a sprightly girl full of innocence, constantly yearning for freedom. Todd's long-lost daughter and Turpin's ward. Tobias Rag is a poor youngster apprentice to Pirelli. He finds a surrogate family in Todd and Mrs. Lovett. And now I just have Pirelli's Miracle Elixir just like wormed its way right into my (laughs) frontal lobe. Because there was a drink that we made in the mixology and musicals the one night that we did in Pirelli's Miracle Elixir because that was Errol's fault and we all tried it and had absinthe and it was terrible. But I don't remember anything after that. It must have worked. It must have worked. <laughs> oh, God. Did it grow hair back? Because that's what it's supposed to do. Is it supposed to grow your hair back? It grew hair on my chest. That's what we'll say. <laughs> Next on our call sheet is Judge Turpin a lecherous public official who portrays himself as a sanctimonious authoritarian. He takes advantage of his position in the city and is responsible for imprisoning Sweeney Todd. And then I'm going to say, I guess the the real last person I think, I don't know, maybe that's really kind of important in this call sheet is going to be Adolfo Pirelli, who is a flamboyant Italian rival barber, a charlatan with a secret past. The other people who are listed on this call sheet um, that aren't the ensemble are uh, the Beatle, who is a pompous public official. He is deeply loyal to the corrupt Turpin. So you'll see him running around with Judge Turpin. 
Um, there is a beggar woman um, who we do, you know, find out part of the M. Night Shyamalan plot twist. She becomes important in that in the end. Um, a deranged and schizophrenic woman who harbors a dark, surprising secret. And then uh, Jonas Fogg, the owner of Fogg's Asylum, he sells the hair of madmen to wig makers. There is a song in the stage version of this show that Jonas Fogg has about the asylum, um, which I'm pretty sure is removed from the film. Otherwise, that is your call sheet. I try, sir, but there's no one comes in even to inhale. Right you are, sir, would you like a drop of ale? Mind you, I can hardly blame them. These are probably the worst pies in London. I know why nobody cares to take them. I should know I make them, but good now. When I think of the show, I do think of it as also an ensemble show, too, just because you have to create this environment of sort of despair in a way. Absolutely. Very much like, again, we're drawing these parallels from Little Shop of Horrors. They're Mm -hmm. creating the Skid Row downtown sitch. They're in the streets of London, and it is not pretty. It is not nice. People are running around, but you also get to see this duality sort of like in Les Miserables. You mm-hmm. see the higher ups are high and good and then the lows are 100% low. Yeah. And sort of that juxtaposition creates this weird tension in a way. Absolutely. I like the idea of this show okay. more than I like this physical show. For some reason, every time I've seen this live on stage doesn't work for me. I actually enjoy the film version a lot better. Really? It's, it, when I watch this on stage, it's easy for me to feel like songs are a minute too long or I had to pay too much attention, but that's Sondheim. You have to be yeah. focused in and honed in. And if you miss two sentences of one song, <laughs> you're probably not going to get the entire rest of this person's plot line. No, <laughs> so, you have missed the train. <laughs> yeah, so I, I actually had to, re-watching this on stage, I I had to go back and rewind a couple times because like I'm sitting sure. writing notes and I'm being like, oh, da, da. and then I went, wait, how did we get here? I missed it, <laughs> dang it. Damn you, Sondheim. <laughs> so it, it, it is worth mentioning, this is our first Sondheim show yes. that we're actually starting to cover. Yeah, I was, I was debating on what it, what it should be, and I feel like we, in the season about death, we have to do Sweeney Todd, and this oh, one yeah. felt right as they claim this to be his masterpiece. Absolutely. Oh. My, but you do like a good story, don't you? Well, Beetle calls on a roll, polite, poor thing, poor thing. The judge, he tells her, is all contrite. He blames himself for her dreadful plight. She must come straight to his house tonight. Poor thing, poor thing. He is an alleged criminal. Mm-hmm. Um, I looked this up. It's not, it never states what he specifically did. Oh, interesting. It, they always just allude to him as this criminal. Sure. Um, so I looked it up and through all of the different versions of this, which we will get to. Sure. It's uh, for larceny. It's it's alleged <gasps> oh. petty, petty theft is what it is. So they sent him to Australia, which we know is a part of the British Empire at that point of time and where they oh. sent all their prisoners. So that's why this is all part of that. I'm so getting a lot was... of Les Mis and, Monte Car- and Count of Monte Cristo vibes. Yeah. I stole a loaf of bread. Cool, we'll send you to jail. Like, that's... Yeah, absolutely. Whoa! Somehow, Sweeney's back. He was supposed to be serving a life sentence, but Sweeney is back. This is enter in our Anthony character mm-hmm. who has escorted him along on his ship. So Sweeney returns to his old stomping grounds, finds that 
his wife is gone, his daughter's gone, he has no idea what's what's happening, but finds a new friend in Mrs. Lovett. Has some of the worst pies in London at her world-famous pie shop. <laughs> <laughs> so eventually they start talking, they start figuring out what's what. Uh, Sweeney wants revenge. She has kept all of his razors through the time um, that he's been gone mm-hmm. and uh, the space above her shop is still available. So he reclaims his space, reclaims his razors and is out for revenge now that he's learned of all the things that Judge Turpin has done, mm-hmm. who happens to have uh, absconded away and stowed his daughter away. So this really does feel like another Les Miserables in a way where we have this really, though? Yeah. kept girl way up in her little tower a la Rapunzel. Through all the mishaps and mayhem and things, you know, they learn, well, if you're going to start killing people, <laughs> um, <laughs> seems like a waste of meat. So how about we kill two birds with one stone here? You get to exact revenge on humanity and the people that put you away and society as a whole because we all deserve to die. And I get some fresh meat. Oh my God. <laughs> Which to me begets one of one of one of musical theaters best double entendre songs. Yes. Yes. A, a, a little priest. I, I just. Oh God. But yeah, so then we continue on and finally all the puzzle pieces come together. Sweeney finally gets a swing, we'll say, at at the judge. And uh, everything sort of falls apart right at the end. And uh, it's sort of hearkening back again to Little Shop of Horrors. What happens when all your dreams finally are fulfilled? Are you in heaven or are you in hell? It's it's one of those shows that I that I really enjoy because like we we've talked about it on uh, several episodes where it's like you want somebody to root for or you want somebody to hate or you you just you need to have some sort of attachment to somebody. Mm-hmm. And personally, I find that like my my view for Sweeney fluctuates throughout the show. And I actually really like that because I don't start rooting for yeah. him, you know, until a certain point. And then at the end of it, I'm just like, whoa, I don't I don't know if I'm on your train anymore, bud. I don't, well, I don't know. This is like that anti-hero musical, right? This is the Dexter. This is the thing you're like, you're rooting for the bad guy, but you also have to understand and realize what they're doing is not good. It's not real. It's no, not supposed not even to be a little bit. like how. You, you as the audience find yourself cheering, wanting that throat slit. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And you're like, wait, what does that say about me? <laughs> it just says that you're a mentally stable individual. Right? It's fine. <laughs> right. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Great. And we're together. And we'll do wonders. Won't we? I'm your friend. Come, too, let Mr. me hold you. If you only now, So we have all the prior foundations told. We have our cast. We have our plot. Yeah. I think we're gonna have to take this somewhere. And why don't we start from the beginning? That Do you need to pour yourself a drink before we start this? <laughs> you know, you know those podcasts that are taking it upon themselves 
to try to be like the detective on this cold case. Yeah. So they're trying to drudge up all of the information on how this was and what came to be like how this all came to be. Absolutely. Who who done it? Yeah. I uh, did you do did you this, do it? <laughs> no. I might have. I could have. Oh, this 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 I'm finding myself becoming obsessed with this. And it's funny because the show is mildly about obsession. Right? <laughs> yeah. What, oh, yeah. Uh, how obsession can cloud. Totally. I had to pull myself back. Oh. Because this could have easily turned into a seven-part series just on the history of this. I'm, there has to be podcasts about the history of Sweeney Todd and the oh, lore. absolutely. <clears throat> so at the end of the day, I went down so many rabbit holes. <laughs> I have my own subway system under Portland. So just so we're clear. Yay! Um, if you want the fastest way downtown, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> you know, downtown. Uh, I don't know the words. That's the wrong show. <laughs> That's it. There we go. <laughs> Sorry, musical interlude aside, moving on. <laughs> Love it. It was great. It was fine. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> because there were too many books. There were too many stories. Like, dates are all over the place. Oh? The history, it, there's conflicting stories over time, and that's sort of the lore of this show. Okay. The lore of the show is true to its nature in how it's presented. It is rumor. It is the tale of Sweeney Todd. The tale. So we take that as this story. It could be made up. It sure. could be a metaphor. But it's been passed down for centuries at this point. <laughs> so... <laughs> Instead of me trying to go through each and every single individual thing, what I'm going to do is give you a lot of good bullet points and things to glean and you might need to know where the beginnings of this musical could have been started and Love why. It. Love okay. it. So instead of deep diving and going into the Mariana Trench past the gas layer, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna rein myself in. Oh and just try to give you the pertinent information. A nick of the razor blade, not a full-on throat slit. Just okay? a full just a little bit enough to make you remember that getting cut hurts. Fair exactly. enough. Exactly. I like here is what we know to be true. The first time we ever hear something about what this lore, this nugget, this little seedling mm -hmm. of a story could be, references a murderous pastry cook who put people into meat pies to sell. Okay, so it had nothing to do with the barber. This happened in a historical nonfiction book, okay, in oh. 1612. Okay. okay? Um, oh, I get to do my French again. Le Theater d'Antiquité de Paris. <laughs> oh, oh my, my. Yeah. L screw, I don't need to go to Paris. Like, I'll just have you talk to me. It'll be great. Uh, it was uh, written by Father Jacques de Breul. And there is a section in this book titled De la Maison des Marmosettes, uh, from the House of the Marmosettes. It does mention a murderous pastry cook who incorporates into his pie the meat of a man he murdered because, allegedly, there are some dietary benefits. Way back when, this is 1600s, we're going to assume this was on weird witch information or something. Yeah, know? mood, yeah. yes. Yeah. Oh, God. Having that sort of as the first basis, like we have people in meat pies, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, it is speculated that uh, a man by the name of Joseph 
Fook. I don't know. I'm not sure how to say that name. That might be a show note. That'll be a show uh, note. Who, yeah. Who served <laughs> as Minister of Police in Paris, 1815, had records in their archives of police that explored murders committed in the early 1800s um, by a Parisian barber. Oh, okay. And in, in these things, it mentioned that the barber was in a league with a neighboring pastry cook who made the pies out of victims and then sold them for human consumption. But people are now questioning this authenticity because the tale was then republished as a story 25 years later. And they have lost in that time the actual records that would have accounted for this being real. So like the criminal documents documenting this were a thing. And by then it had been a few decades later. No one is still working in this precinct that was. It's a tale. It is now a story. It is something that people only hear about that cannot be confirmed or denied. Well, I love a good a good rumor tale, something that can't be a speculation or, you know, something that can't right? be corroborated. Yeah. I love that. So again, we're just building on this like lore, this mystery, this intrigue, this, yes. ooh, this ooh, you know. Oh my god, I love it. Now we're in the 1850s-ish. Ooh, okay. okay. We have Charles Dickens, who's even made references, only take meat pies from a lady because that way you know it's at least kitten and not cat or something, <laughs> which is referenced in, in this musical as well and right. all these iterations. A man by the name of Edward Lloyd had written another some had written some serials okay okay uh this is where what most people know sweeney todd was birthed from what is known as a penny dreadful yeah yes so it was originally just a few short stories strung together um to create one cohesive story in this early 1800s to 1850s time then later lloyd strung a larger version of this together and put made it into a book the string of pearls is what it's called i love you all but i was not gonna read 732 pages <laughs> like i love you all dearly i ain't gonna do that i ain't gonna so, do that nah so we don't play that what i did instead is i read excerpts it's actually a really hard read it's very wordy it felt like i was reading tolkien if he had taken like mushrooms. Oh, like, honey. He, I don't even know. It was hard. Like I, I went, okay, I can't do this. You're like, no, thank you. This is where most of the basis of this story comes from is this book, The String of Pearls, mm-hmm. this demon barber, barber of Fleet Street. And that's wow. where we get most of our characters, all of our sort of build and setup of what we know the show to be okay. is from this book. Flash forward now to the next century, 1900. Okay. Uh, 1910s, 1920s, silent film is all the rage. Of course. <laughs> of course it is. There, there is a lost to time, 1910s, silent film about this. They made a silent film of the, the tale of Sweeney Todd. What? Demon Barber of Fleet Street. Okay, that's lost. Cool. It's lost to time. It was only 20 minutes long, lost to time, gone does not exist anymore. Mm-hmm. However, they remade one in the 1920s and that one still exists. Uh, Love it. Yeah, so I thought that was kind of fun. But then, fast forward, mid-1900s, stagings of this book turned into a play 
are starting to surface. There's many, 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 many versions (laughs) of this play out. Like everyone had their take on what the tale of Sweeney Todd was. Sure. So again, we're as humans, we are taking this rumor and spreading it, telling our own side of the tale, thus creating more chaos and craziness around this. That's so cool though. Okay. There is a definitive, the definitives will say. Yeah. (laughs) That came to be. 1973, Christopher Bonds wrote a play, Sweeney Todd. Okay. End quote. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. We we take this one as the one. I like it. No one shall do it better or different. (laughs) This is the story of Sweeney Todd. Love it. (laughs) Christopher Bonds somehow took (laughs) all the pieces, put it together, and said, this is the story of Sweeney Todd. Enter in Sondheim and the director team that made this 1979 musical. (laughs) Oh, Sondheim. Sondheim got his hands on it, worked with his entire team. Hal Prince, I believe, was the one he worked with as the main person throwing this all together. Debuted on Broadway in 1979. And then on the West End in Sondheim felt like this was bigger than him, and this show is all about obsession. And he, like, he became obsessed with the show. That's wild. Um, this was one of the really fun quotes that I I found him saying about the show, and it made me think about it. And I was happy I found it before I did an initial viewing. Um, and so it gave me like a lens to look Neat. at the stage version through. Sure. He says, scary things aren't ever being said. Why do I feel worried? Oh. Yeah. And I, I was like, what? Like, we look at Sweeney Todd as like this gory, gruesome sort of like thriller of yeah. a musical in a way. Yeah. And I went, there's no way. No, it's always danced around. What? And it's genius. Like, Damn it, Sondheim. <laughs> even, even Mrs. Lovett, uh, when you get it, if you get it, you got it. And I went, whoa, <gasps> that is so cool. That broke my brain so just cool. now. It wow. Is so cool. The tension just based on like the underscoring. Now he pulled apparently from, uh, oh no. Die show notes. Uh, I can't remember now, but he pulled all of his underscoring from a very well-known classical. I believe it's it's either Brahms or Mozart piece, and I will. This is this will be a show notes thing. But it's it's a very dark sounding thing, and that became the basis for like the Sweeney Todd sound. And anytime Sweeney's on stage, yeah, he this un spoken tension and it it permeated everything and it worked so that's crazy wow that is what i decided i should just give you as far as what you need to know because well thank you this 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 story man it just i i started trying to like research each little individual thing and then i i was i was about to pull out the red string and start putting pieces <laughs> together and be like, oh. Oh, no. And this is the last little bit of information that kind of, this it's the one 
piece of string I do want to put, put together before we move on. Oh, tell me. So we know that Edward Lloyd um, wrote this and put this into a larger story mm-hmm. from what he knew. And with these sort of penny dreadfuls and these, this, these serials that he put in. Sure. And these sort of stories started popping up 25 years later, right? From mm-hmm. this, what would have been the initial crime committed of a barber and his codependent meat shop person <laughs> what lloyd swears he based these characters off of real people off a crime committed in the early turn of the century what lloyd is not connected to what was happening in paris but he must have heard about an a crime committed in 1800s in paris and then had this sort of like rifling around in his head for a minute before he wanted to write about it. And so the connection is this French crime Lloyd wrote about later, who is English, to my knowledge. Sure. And that string connected there because I went, oh, these crimes were allegedly committed per this police department in France. This was the problem. We cannot verify these accounts because right. the documents are lost. Right. But Lloyd wrote about it, alleging that these are based on real crimes committed at the turn of the century. Wow. What? And I went, oh, dang. That's so cool, Stephen. Which makes it a little more creepy. A little bit, yes. <laughs> what? Like, oh, the true crime part of my brain is lighting up right now. Yeah, right. Mm, uh, where's I, my bottle of red wine and my conspiracy theories? I know. It, Everyone, everyone obsessed with true crime. We need this cold case solved. We Let's really go. do. Somebody <sighs> get on it. I have like paragraphs on each and every other one. I just like, that's a separate podcast. I don't want to. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Like, that's like history. Like if I wanted to start a Sondheim Sweeney Todd podcast, I could do that. But I don't. That's not, this is not even my favorite show, people. This is not the show I'm going to create. <laughs> but of course, that would be it would be the show that isn't your favorite where you would find all of the oh, of juicy course. material. Right. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. But see, in even saying this isn't my favorite show, this is what I love about it. I love learning these bits and like why this musical is what it is. I now get to look at this show through this lens and I go, totally. oh, so cool. I love it. Pirelli's miracle elixir That's what did the trick, sir True, sir, true Was it quick, sir Did it in a tick, sir Just like an elixir Ought to do How about a bottle, mister Only cost a penny, guarantee Hey, buys a bottle, I got to go Go ahead to order what did people actually think about this show with our potentially true crime committers? I think the only way to do that justice is to slide right into a critics review. Opening night. It's opening night. Going to another one of my favorite websites. This is from the New York Times. Um, I will say that... Um, this review in and of itself is for uh, the current revival of Sweeney Todd that is happening on Broadway right now with Josh Groban. You know, Stephen and I both kind of read this over and I think it carries a lot of things that seem to be universal between like, you know, when the show first came on to the world stage, if you will. And now I will go ahead and we'll just jump into it. How do you like your Sweeney Todd done? Stephen Sondheim, who wrote the score, favored the musical thriller take. 
the one that focuses on gore and shock. Blood spouts everywhere when Sweeney, the quote, demon barber of Fleet Street, end quote, slits the throats of his customers. When his accomplice, Mrs. Lovett, grinds the corpses into meat pies, you wince at every crunch. If there are so many worthy, quote, Sweeney options, that's because the show isn't just one of the greatest American musicals, but several. Sondheim's score, an homage to the sinister soundtracks of Bernard Herrmann, cannibalizes the book by Hugh Wheeler, and the book's Remoter Sources, a 1970 play by Christopher Bond, a 19th century Penny Dreadful, until only their bones remain. But in return, you get arias so beautiful and musical scenes so intricately layered that every possible genre seems to be baked inside. That really does fold in with what I was saying. Like, it, it just... Yeah, and then you fold in the cheese. In. <laughs> how, yeah, how am I supposed to wait, fold it in? How, how do I fold? I don't know. You just fold, fold it, it in. <laughs> did I just come to the conclusion that you are in fact my David Rose? Did I just did I just figure that out? Is that true? I mean, I'm a little bit Alexis, but that's okay. You know what? You really you're like a good marriage between the two, and then I'm Moira only because I'm hammered most of the time. <laughs> You know Herbert Lingherder Lingbert in the lee of the ballet in the lee of the <laughs> ballet that's a gentle orchard <laughs> Catherine O'Hara we love you on this show I know I we follow her on from the top oh god Instagram yeah. like, of course we do of course we do and uh, if you're not following us you absolutely should from the top underscore podcast on Instagram and what's this threads thing I don't know I, I put I put some fun stuff up there for you to interact with now and then there. I don't know. It's like Instagram didn't want to be stifled anymore. They wanted a forum for people to talk like on Facebook or Twitter. Yeah. So they said we need a sub thing. So they have like the app within the app. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, cool. Appception. <laughs> but anyway, we're there too. <laughs> so speaking of a thread, we let's start pulling this thread a little bit for this show, Ooh. right? Unraveling my red string that connected all these dots. Are you kidding me? Yes, I'm unraveling <laughs> okay. it because truly like it's so interesting to see this show kind of become an un like it is a is a sweater that is unraveled pretty much by the end of it right because he oh he has this persona that everybody knows him by and then he comes back from being wrongfully you know thrown into prison or thrown in for petty larceny or whatever and and it just like once that thread starts getting tugged at by mrs lovett who's like hey we could do, we could make this mutually beneficial for each other. I personally feel like that's when the thread starts getting pulled a little bit because like it, when Mrs. Lovett tells him that the wife is dead and the daughter is gone, right? Like she's like, I hate to break the news to you, but here's what we know. Um, He starts to kind of get, you know, obviously he gets sad about it, but then she goes, hey, this, we could do this together. So that she starts holding onto that thread and she's pulling it ever so slightly very much like manipulating him a little bit because she knows that he's in a vulnerable state of mind. So she's like, maybe I'll just get him to do what I want because then both of us can like meet our ends. And I just, I've never thought of Mrs. Lovett as a gaslighter, but it kind of feels like she is a little bit. She's sort of the puppet master in a way. It's hard to say that because I feel like Sweeney of his own volition decided he was going to do this. Oh yeah. And it's almost like Mrs. Lovett is just that parasitical bird on the rhino you know like yeah it's, it's just this like along for the ride but i'm gonna get my just desserts too along with whatever demise you're gonna put yourself through sweeney snaps oh yeah and then love it hops on that bandwagon and says <laughs> oh hey you know what i'm sick of overpaying for meat 
let's both make this a thing where each of us can, you know, benefit from this transaction. It's almost disheartening too, in a way, just to watch him have this really vulnerable moment where she tells him, your family is no more. Like, I'm sorry, you came back and they're all gone. But how about we do this thing together? And like, it, it's one of the moments in the show that I really kind of hurt for him in that moment because he just... All he he wanted very simple things. He wanted to come back and to be with his wife and be with his daughter. That's all he wanted to do. He wanted somewhere that's green. It, he absolutely he wanted mediocrity. That is it. That's all he wanted. And then he came back and his whole world was fucked. And they were like, sorry, like, and let's move on with your life. Is this like a weird moment in time for musicals? Because I'm also seeing this thread in a lot of musicals at this time and a lot of like Sondheim's musicals do this sure life is life and you can't expect more than what you put in right and sometimes dreams don't happen like we see this in Into the Woods we see this in Company it's always there yeah Uh, a, a little night music it's humanity at its core is what Sondheim is good at oh and, and so good writing musical rap about it <laughs> was Lin-Manuel Miranda. <laughs> yeah, Sondheim perfected it. Uh, was just doing his own thing. <laughs> I mean, when I get to see Cinderella pop off on the steps of the palace, I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, let's go. This is Levitt, who is so complex, and the songs she has to sing are insane. It's like three not getting married todays. <laughs> Oh my God. Oh, it hurts. It hurts to think about. <laughs> yeah. So no, nothing is easy in the show. But if you don't, if you don't nail that, you're lost in the music. And so is yeah. everybody else. Whatever the face or even a part, without it a smart, require the heart. It take the art. I show you a chart. I guess sort of speaking about like getting scared of this show, what what is your personal experience of the show? What when did you get introduced to this? This show for me was one that I got introduced to pretty early on. Actually, the theater in our town actually did it when I was really young, when I was, I don't know, maybe 13 years old, I think. At the time I was doing a lot of like I would sign up to usher for all of the shows at the theater. And so this was one that I ushered every single show because I could not, I was obsessed with how they pulled this off with the way that you have to do like blood on stage and how did you, the trap door and getting the bodies down into the shop. Like there were so many different things that like I wanted to watch every single show to try to get all of the, like the theater magic. Like I wanted to know what that was. Fast forward to, you know, the film coming out. And of course I watched the film, loved kind of their rendition of it. And as we talk about film gives you a lot more opportunity to fill in those gaps than you know stage does um but then recently uh, i was i believe it was earlier this year um one of our mutual friends actually uh had a ticket for the touring show that came to our town and her husband couldn't go to it so i got to go in his stead and we got to sit in the orchestra and watch this show live it was on a grander scale than was ever done in our local theater and i mean just from the moment those 
first chords like nail the stage and they shake the floorboards my i got goosebumps immediately it was absolutely sublime and my background with it is extensive i've never been in the show that would be a, a definite um mark on my bucket list for sure is to be in the Ooh, show yeah we all have those shows and yeah but yeah i can't say this one's on my high on my list there was Fair a period enough. of my life where i thought oh i could do like anthony and that Absolutely. I, wouldn't hate, I wouldn't hate that. But I, I, <laughs> I wouldn't hate it. I mean, of course, like Sweeney as a role would be awesome, like oh, to to explore those depths and things. For but, sure. Yeah. I don't know. Like the earliest mention of like Sweeney Todd, Demon Barber of Fleet Street mm-hmm. that I can pull from the <laughs> bowels of <laughs> from the depths of your loins. archives. Yeah. Um, I for some reason, the original Broadway production had this major piece of set. It was a huge square that they just plopped in the middle of this Broadway stage. Oh. And it would rotate and it served its purpose because the barber shop was on the top level. Sure. And it would allow the bodies, once just, you know, mm-hmm. razored, to fall into this box and be hidden from people. Sure. For some reason, it is this box this set piece that is has permeated my brain more than the show. Mm. So I don't know. I, I, I can only imagine because growing up, I took a vested interest in all of our Christmas in school plays. Sure. So I had been looking up Broadway stage shows mm-hmm. a lot. I'm betting that in my tiny country school library, in the one Broadway book we had, oh. there was probably a picture of the set of Sweeney Todd. And I think that's what I'm seeing. Sure. And so I think more so it is the environment of Sweeney Todd that I got started with. And then that probably spurred on later seeing clips of Angela Lansbury and Len sure. doing their thing. Sure. And then as you grow older in the musical theater realm, that's it. But for some reason, the thing that is sticking out to me is this set piece that was a big square that could turn and then you were in different spaces based upon need. That's, that's what so I remember. Cool. Yeah. And it's that's a it's a very different, you know, what our experience is with the show. And I think that was the first one because I uh, yeah, <laughs> I was that little nerd that no one else wanted to do the play that year. But I was the one like buzzing in my desk being like yay the play's coming and so my teachers always saw that so they would always give me more responsibilities with putting on the show would you like to make that prop yes yes Yes, i would would. (laughs) fifth grade on i i was the one who chose like all of our school productions Because no one at that school wanted it. No oh, one wanted that responsibility. And I'm like, oh, here, you have 11 people in your class. This this play has 11 people and like there's good parts for everyone. Oh, this one has like a high G, but like I think they can hit that. That's okay. Oh, <laughs> you were playing a producer like I was in, your, a producer. in yeah. your infancy. That's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Pretty women, pretty women blowing out their candles I like the build of this show, the yeah. structure of this show. Yeah. It's it's um the way that it builds is sort of like cause and effect embodied, like in this gruesome tale. We, you mentioned, I think it was in our little shop episode, you we 
we as people sort of like seeing people Icarus themselves. Yes. <laughs> and this is sort of that exact thing for oh, every totally. character. And so like they'll build a character or the villain or the antihero or whatever, you know, whoever we're we're working with in, sure. in the scene or, or the, you know, as we go along. And then we either see them die or we see like their metaphoric demise or how they get in their own way. And it's like the worst of humanity in a nutshell. And like I said, Sondheim was really good at writing about this and creating these interactions. Like what what do you think is the worst Icarus of this show? Like who who did the wrong the worst? You know, because we we get to see this not only with Sweeney because he got in his own way and couldn't recognize his own wife. Yep. We see this with uh, Mrs. Lovett who ultimately does that herself with Sweeney and then gets thrown into an oven. Yeah, buddy. Then, like, <laughs> like we see this with Pirelli who gets greedy and then gets offed by Sweeney. Uh, we, like we see the judge who's like a pedophile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that. Bleh, 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 yeah. Bleh. We put all these people in the stew pot of a show and <laughs> add a little blood, you know, Add a little blood. <laughs> what I resonate I guess resonates the wrong word, but the the thing that I uh, write because I would you, you resonate. I do. Ooh, I resonate with Icarusing myself. But I was gonna say, for me, the worst one personally is Mrs. Lovett, and I only say that because she um, emotionally Icaruses herself because she is manipulating Sweeney, stroking his ego, and like doing all these things, knowing that he'll do what she wants because she's going about it a certain way. Um, hers is the worst for me. You know, she starts from tragedy and lies to him and says, your family is gone. And then, you know, gets him to kind of go in on this scheme with her because it, it can be mutually beneficial. And then when he starts to either have doubts or like, you know, tries to like waver in any way, she's always the loving arm that comes back and tries to pull him back into what we're doing. And then, you know, she professes love to him and she's delusional about how much he loves her. And yeah. do, do you think, see this, I wanted to talk about this. Do you think she loved him before? Yes, I do. He got sent away? Yes, I or do. Or do you think that was a slow build back to love? Like, was she always jealous of his wife and wanted that beforehand? Because it's, it was unclear. I, I looked for it. I don't know if she had the pie shop when they were living above there. Right. I mean, th since it is so ambiguous, like, my read of it is that they had a history at some point whether it was they were friends or they you know just you know she was the landlord and like they lived there like whatever it is there is a history that's there and i think that she's always been jealous but then she knew what her way in was which was telling him that the fan that the wife is dead so of course who do you lean on mm. other than me because i'm here for you and of course i'll yeah. be here for well, you and i think it's important though to distinguish she never actually says she's dead no she just says that she's gone the way she tells the story is so manipulative because yes. w after he got sent away to this australian prison the judge that sentenced him took on his family love it makes it sound like arsenic was the thing that did her in that she took on her own volition correct she never states fully because this is part of this Shyamalan plot that she took arsenic 
end of story. We all as human know what happens when you take arsenic. Yeah, we we fill in the blanks and so did Sweeney at that point because yes. she gave him the room to do that. That's her defense before yeah. she's thrown into the oven. Yeah. But no, I, I I never said it fully. I just I was thinking of you. I was thinking of you and how hurt you were. No, 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 no. We know that the, the beggar woman stays around the shop and she, you know, mm-hmm. is the one that is talking about like, well, here's what the, you know, the pies are made of and like everyone's ah, shut up, old woman. Uh, uh, Toby, <laughs> throw the old woman out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like, but she keeps saying in that song, Toby, throw the old woman out because the old woman is speaking truth. And she's like, if I, yeah. I don't want anybody to hear her because if somebody believes her, all it takes is one person. It, it's the perfect metaphor of man devouring man. And like, let's take it into like the symbolism thing again. Yeah. Like we do this with each other all the time. And then we yell and don't pay any attention to the person that is speaking truth. In fact, we throw them out. Absolutely. We always throw out the person that is speaking truth because it's either so ridiculous that there's no way it could be true or they're making too loud of a noise. And it's like, I don't want to hear you. You're too loud. Like, go away. Damn it, Sondheim. Being all smart with your human things and stuff. (laughs) They all deserve to die. Tell you why, Mrs. Lovett. Tell you why. Of the whole human race, Mrs. Lord, there are two kinds of men and only two. There's the one staying put in his proper place, and the one with his foot in the other one's face. Look at me, Mrs. Lovett, look at you. No, we all deserve to die. This show is a nightmare come true, and I think that's part of its allure. Yeah. And why we're scared of it, and why it continues to sort of permeate. Let's talk about, like, I've, I know there to be, I think, three things that are absolute horrors of this show so let's talk about the clear one sweeney todd he is a person of service and we essentially give our most vulnerable spot on our body to him yep (laughs) and we have to trust them with a sharp object around this and this is that human side where we go what if wouldn't this be so easy it would absolutely be all it is is a flick of the wrist and that's it. We have that working against us. Then let's talk about something else. We're being given something as simple and innocent as what was then common as a meat pie. Like it was a sus- substance easily stored, frozen, and it could last a few days. Mm-hmm. This meat pie was life and is now filled with something so deplorable. You're feeding us us. <laughs> And under false pretenses, and we don't know. So then that makes us question, like, oh, can I go over to my friend's house? And, like, what's in the chili? (laughs) I mean, even looking to, you know, current things, South Park makes a joke about that. Cartman, one of the kids that was bullying him, murders his parents, cuts them up, and puts them in chili and feeds it to him. (laughs) (laughs) Because it is absolutely a human fear. You know, I mean, look at the Donner Party. Like, everybody looked down on the Donner Party because they ate people. I mean, obviously with the Donner Party, it was different because they were surviving and so they had to eat people. And it was like, I need to do that. But like, there's always the joke of people taste like chicken. So like, how will I know the difference between if I'm eating people or eating chicken, huh? Yeah. But I mean, it is absolutely an inner fear that- It's horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. When you go to a restaurant and you're given- something you this one puts that seed of question into your mind and you go can i can i trust this mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's a fear yeah but like i but again i love this double entendre of man devouring man it just 
like what's the flavor of the day with that song like what ill can you stomach today because nobody's perfect and I, I love I love that so much but then I think the third one that like we have to talk about is maybe this um nothing's gonna harm you Aww. not while I'm around is when the person you trust ends up wanting to kill you like it's a wolf in sheep's clothing. <laughs> exactly. They have complete and utter faith that you will do right by them and they will do reciprocate. Yeah. And uh, when Mrs. Lovett is like leading, she's leading him to his death and he completely trusts her. Yeah. So then you have to question who in my life would I literally just follow to the ends of the earth just to be duped? Yeah. The, the relationship between Mrs. Lovett and Toby, you have this this almost familial relationship that she's trying to give to him, like, because he's, you know, parentless. So she's trying to be his mother. But then you add the naivete of, like, of youth to that because she's an authoritarian figure and he tr blind trusts her because he's like, well, she's given me, you know, she's given me a place to sleep and things to eat. And, you know, she's given me a job and, and she's treating me like a person. But then he gets locked in the basement and discovers the secret. And then he gets chased by Mrs. Lovett and Sweeney because they're going to kill him because he knows the secret. And so now all of that relationship is basically thrown in the trash because he's now a liability. He yeah. was only he was only an asset when he was ignorant but now that he knows the secret, he is a liability. We always talk about like knowledge is power, right? Mm -hmm. And this is absolutely that personified. Well, and it as an, a random crossover, I uh, so the Phantom of the Pod and I just saw Oppenheimer last night, and there was Cute. a line in Oppenheimer that really kind of struck me that um, you know uh, Robert Oppenheimer is looking at this guy like trying to recruit him for this job that they're doing in Los Alamos, and he goes, "You like we." please come do this like they they need us and the guy across the desk goes yeah until they don't and it was just like the moment of i i want to build a relationship with you for as long as i need you and then once i don't need you then poof it goes away and you're oh, say less girl <laughs> say less <laughs> Say less. <laughs> it's such a powerful thing because you, I mean, at least in my life, I try not to treat people that way, but there are some times and there are some relationships that I have formed where it's, I am doing this out of necessity because I need you. And then once I don't need you, I don't cultivate the relationship anymore. I would say, I think as one gets older, they're more transparent about that. They're sure. more giving and forthcoming on those, those bits of like, hi, I think we need to work together for this and it's very transparent on that level totally i think when you're young you like to play games more and one thousand like, percent oh yeah. I, oh yeah oh my gosh like let's go grab drinks let's go oh yeah let's hang out and then once you get what you need bye oh all of a sudden my schedule is so busy wow oh, oh. oh i would love to potentially hopefully get to plan something like that with you <laughs> We're trying to form alliances to get the most out of what we're trying to do. And then yeah. once that alliance no longer benefits us, we sever it and go like pivot a different direction. I mean, yeah. for Sweeney, you know, pivoting is um, I'm just going to pivot this right across your throat and then I'm going to pivot you down into the, <laughs> you know, into the shop. It's priest. Have a little priest. 
Is it really good? Sir, it's too good, at least. Then again, they don't commit sins of the flesh, so it's pretty fresh. Awful lot of fat. Only where it's at. Haven't you got poets or something like that? No, you see, the trouble with poet is how do you know it's deceased? Try the priest. Well, let's take a let's take a hard left. How hard about left. we talk? Yeah, how about we talk about our sort of Romeo and Juliet situation? Our innocence, our Aww. the the one the couple characters in this show that actually maybe don't deserve to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Anthony and Joanna. So as we say that Joanna has been locked away in her room pretty much her whole life. Mm-hmm. And she she identifies with songbirds because all she can do is sing. No, of course. <laughs> of course. I mean, uh, long blonde locks and staring out windows is all I know how to do. Where do I get that job? <laughs> <laughs> but that would mean that you would also have to have some sort of strict and creepy older ward that has hold of you and... You're just describing a sugar daddy. And I think <laughs> you've said very much so. I'm okay with that. We we appreciate sex work in this house. We support sex work in this house. We do not shame about any of those things. But you know what? In as fact, soon you know as what? It, Joanna deserves to die because what's she complaining about? What's she complaining about? <laughs> I mean, the second it came out of my mouth, I was like, that, that sounds like something. What does that sound like to me? Oh, yeah. Sugar daddy. Sugar daddy. Okay. Okay, we turned left. I didn't mean to like. (laughs) You said hard left, so I went. So, do we buy this? Because this... (laughs) I've never quite got it. Um, Imagine, if you will, for four seconds. Oh, okay. I'm imagining. I'm here with you. You're walking down Main. Okay. You look into a window, and you see a girl... And you go, that one. <laughs> That's oh, what happened. God, let's, not, let's not sugarcoat that. Uh-uh. That's what happened. Yes. Oh, by the way, she gives him the key <laughs> to come up. Okay. Yes. Come queen. on up, baby. Come on up, baby. <laughs> but is this love? Is this a spring awakening? They're feeling what they're feeling. Romeo and Juliet, it's real to them. Do we buy that they're in love? I guess it seems, you know, plausible to me is because we know that Anthony is a sailor that is coming home to London, right? So, like, how long has he been on a ship? How long has he been away from people? How long has he, I mean, to be crass, how long has it been since he's gotten laid? Has he ever gotten laid? We don't really know what Anthony's backstory is prior to this, right? We just know that he... I mean, he... I get it. There are sailor days in Portland here. Oh. I mean, I see all the men in uniform walking around. Someday. Hey, <laughs> I mean, let's be real. There's always something about a man in uniform with a rucksack. I'm all about it. So, on the town. <laughs> on the town. So I feel like it, you know, him walking through this district and he looks up and sees a girl and he goes, oh, my God, that's the love of my life and I need to be with her. There are many a show that we have talked about where people fall in love instantly. And it's like, at what point does that become real? We needed that to happen because it was a it's a plot device because it drives the story forward. That causes the t- 
the drama between Joanna and Turpin. It then causes a little bit of drama with Sweeney because Sweeney finds out that it is his daughter. And then he's like, wait, you're doing a thing with my, mm, I don't know if I like that, which is the only reason why I think it's plausible because he has probably been away from women for a long time. That's fair. So then he goes- We're gonna take a side plot. Side plot. It's still such a dumb sound. (laughs) Okay. We're in an era where marriage is transactional still. Women are not equal. Correct. Like Sweeney era. Correct. Okay. But let's also tie this into like writing for, writing a script for a medium. Let's take it back to Romeo and Juliet. Like, Sure. Imagine you're Shakespeare writing Romeo and Juliet. You sure. have to, you need a catalyst for this this love story, right? This strike a match, instant passion. Sure. But we see this in everything is immediate infatuation, something we've just grown to accept because of the mediums in which we are given it. Because Ooh. for the story to be told how we need it to go, you need to fall in love quickly so the plot can move forward. I mean, I would buy into that because, you know, especially with this show in particular, the love story part of it, it that at least that love story is like a subplot to what's happening. Right. So it mm-hmm. could also be seen as a palate cleanser because you've got all of these right. other things these dark and dirty things that are like it's murder and betrayal and and cannibalism and like really heavy things so why not throw something in there where you know i feel you joanna like you get to have this really pretty aria where he's singing about a girl that he likes what you were saying was just really making me be like wait do we just believe in this? Has has this been a concept just thrust down our throat and we now take it as such and we just run with it? I've never been like, see someone through a window and I'm immediately in love. Like, it's just not I mean, I see magic mic dancers and I'm immediately in love, but that is not the same thing, right? Is it? I don't know. I think so. We've got film, we've got television, we've got theater. Um, A lot of times when we have a love story that is happening, unless the the show itself is about the love story, they fall in hard and fast immediately. They do. Because they, like you said, it is to help the plot go forward. They are the catalyst for other things to happen or they only come together because of something else that's happened. So I think we do buy into it because we're not focused on the love story unless the plot tells us we need to be. And then- It flowers and we get to see all of the other things. So let's contrast this with Sweeney and Love It. They're sort of in their own love story. And it's like a it's a crazy love story. <laughs> you did Johnny Depp eyes just then. It was very like say <laughs> it's a codependent the musical. Like this Oh is my so, god. It's so unokay. One thousand percent unokay. But I think theirs is almost more real. So maybe that's part of Sondheim's shtick, right? He wanted maybe to say, hey, this is where we live. Mm -hmm. This is the dream, but I'm going to show this to you in contrast. By the way, by the sea, like that was Lovett's dream. That's her own somewhere that's green. And he's just sitting there not doing anything and just letting her kind of live this out. Ineffected and she's getting to finally live her fantasy. All her dreams are coming true. Yeah. And she's got the man and she's got the flourishing business and she's like 
has the pseudo kid. Like it's all coming together for her. Mm -hmm. But he's sitting there realizing I already did this once and this is not the same. Do you think that it is actually a love story like between the two of them in in some sort of sense of the word? Because like, well, it's it's a type of love. I do. I think it's love proper as we we all sort of know and understand it no but i think it is a form of love story some people say love is obsession and that's what the show's about when we talk about a love story we've talked about a lot of unrequited love stories as well and like how there are a lot of characters that um I mean, going back to Spring Awakening, like Marta was in love with Moritz and could never tell him that. But like, yeah. you've got this this story between these two people. Mrs. Lovett absolutely is in love with Sweeney. Like, she just is. She wants what's best for him. She wants to, you know, wants his dreams to come true, wants to include him in her future. But like, like you said, he's already done this once. And so he does not feel the same for her and doesn't really say it out loud, but shows it in the way of in, you know, by the sea. He just sits there and doesn't really participate in it and just kind of becomes like a filler person. So it's it's interesting to say that it's a love story because there are so many different types of love. And I love that you said that obsession is one of those things. Because like I, I honestly forget sometimes that obsession is a form of love. Is it creepy and is it self destructive? Yeah, absolutely. Not, like, and I'm not saying we're like on this isn't swim fan. <laughs> Actually, maybe she is. Maybe she is. I don't know. I mean, maybe. But I, that's uh, yeah. That's that's a wild concept that love stories, depending on whether or not they're the main focus or a side plot if you will um what kind of weight we give those and what kind of you know what kind of scrutiny we put them through whether or not it is believable and do we just buy in because we know that there's a bigger story being told well and i said it as like the clue for this like our our sweeney our benjamin barker is in love with an inanimate object like he in his obsession for revenge comes to love his friend yep. his razor he, he it is literally like you have stated the extension of his arm he cannot do what he needs to do without it ergo he loves them yeah. he <laughs> devotes his time to them and treats them with almost more respect than anything else in his life god it's just it's it's such a cool cool because i'm a weirdo um like dive into the human psyche because you know now i mean nowadays there are films and other you know things like other you know media that are about um personification of objects and the attachment that people feel to those things and how real it seems to them and how wild it seems to the world around them. And, you know, I find it interesting in this particular circumstance because this is a tale, right? And not not everybody knows the particulars of it. They all know, though, that the object goes with the man, right? Like you can't, he can't be independent of the razor. And so that's what leads, I think, to a lot of people they're probably speculating a lot of things because he is so obsessed with having this thing with him all the time. I mean, can you imagine nowadays, like, you know, I mean, our phones have become that kind of thing where it's like, oh, I feel naked without my phone. He feels incomplete without the razor. That would be like the weirdest version (laughs) of this show. It's like deleting (sighs) contacts on your phone and then they just fall through the floor. Um, we need to do this right now. That would be. We got this. Let's (laughs) fucking go. I'm ready. (laughs) 
deserve to die well deserve is an interesting word because knowing that we all don't get out of this alive right we're all kind of running very swiftly towards the end there are ways in which people can die that are more deserving than others so like you know, being at home, being surrounded by your family, going of your own accord, um, going peacefully, going without pain. Like those things, I think, are what people deserve when they die because we know it's an inevitability. Do people deserve to die at the hands of other people like Sweeney Todd out of pure blind revenge? Um, I think there maybe are a couple of people in this show that do, but he gets so blinded by this that then he just starts killing everybody. And yeah. so I mean, he snaps essentially he after he learns that everything is, is done. Yeah. And he, he walks in. There's a, oh, there, there's a lyric in, um, what is it? No place like London. Mm-hmm. He's singing to Anthony. It, um, turning beauty and filth to greed. I too have sailed the world and seen its wonders for the cruelty of men is as wondrous as Peru, but there's no place like London. Now, the cruelty of men is as wondrous as Peru. Like, he's being like, I've traveled everywhere. I've seen all of humanity. Mm -hmm. I've seen the best, I've seen the worst, and as far as I'm concerned, we're trash, and we all deserve to die. (laughs) Yep. Like, he walks in with this mentality. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's very transparent about how he feels immediately. Yeah. And so, like, he's sort of the judge and jury himself. Now, that's funny because we have a literal judge who is putting these judgments on other individuals. Yeah. Maybe not so rightful. Is it just as bad, Sweeney passing these judgments or the person we set up in power? Because he's essentially doing the same thing. Oh, and that, I mean, that then opens up the conversation into, you know, do just because you're in a position of power, does that mean that you are going to act in a right and just manner? And do we have blind faith in you being in said position to advocate for our, you know, benefit and to do what's right by us? And and there there are so many other, you know, conversations. Well, I mean, it's like walking into a pie shop and assuming you're not going to be eating human. It's walking in to see your mom and assuming she's not going to kill you. Exactly. I mean, I mean it's... It, it's it's all connected in this weird string. Yeah. I don't know. There's a great layer of this too. Like, is it right and just, quote, for Sweeney to be the one enacting these things against people who wronged him because he knows the law will never do it. So he's taking it upon himself to do it, knowing that he could be caught at any moment. Like... You know, at a certain point, um, I would assume a man like that doesn't really care because he's like, I have been wronged by the law, very much like Jean Valjean. I get out of prison. The first thing I do is steal stuff because, you know, that's what I do. And I'm not going to go, you know, check in with the people I need to because they they understand that only God can judge me. Right. Like that kind of mentality. So I don't know. I mean, the the deserving part of it 
is so ambiguous and it's such a wonderful conversation to have. Just because I did something wrong, does that, even if I atone for my sins, do I still deserve to die because I did it? Or do yeah. I not deserve to die because I atone? You know, there's, oh. What's your favorite song in this show, Mary? Oh, you would ask me this question. Oh, there are, oh my God, there are so many good songs. Um, I feel like I already dropped it. Like, it's a little priest. Like, that's mine. Oh, it's, sure. I, the, there will be no other double entendre song quite like that. And sure. I don't think there ever will be constructed. So, like, in, people say this was Sondheim's masterpiece show. I don't know. I, I'm I'm privy to a few of his other workings. Sure. But I would say this song is absolutely in that upper echelon of musical theater songs for me. To speak about and be so blunt about humans. Yeah. Be tongue-in-cheek about it. No matter who you are, at the end of the day, you could be turned into a pie. Mm -hmm. Like, doesn't matter if you're rich, you're poor, whatever. We all have our faults and our benefits. You're all gonna end up in my pie. So you're all gonna matter? end up like, in my pie. <laughs> you know, like to just equal it equalizes us. And I just love that I love every ounce of that song. I Absolutely. I would be such a sellout if I said the ballad of Sweeney Todd, because I mean, that first chord is just so it's, magnanimous. It's the bump, it you know? is. You um, just feel it. Yeah, you do. But if I were to really think about like what my favorite song is, it's kind of weird. I love Pretty Women. Mm. Oh, ew. I love oh. Pretty Women. So let me ew. tell let me tell you why I love Pretty Women. It's a moment where Sweeney and Turpin in one moment agree on something and Sweeney is manipulating him without Turpin knowing it. The cat I mean, it has the mouse. And it's my favorite moment because he's got him exactly where he wants him. But it's all predicated on a lie. It is predicated on a lie. And that's why I like it. Character-wise. It's, it's leading the lamb to slaughter, yes, so to speak. Yes, yes. Yeah. And it's okay. the moment that I kind of root for Sweeney the most because I'm like, you manipulative son of a bitch. Like, I just love you so much. And Waiting this, to polish him off. Actually, exactly. side note, this one, that's where this phrase comes from. I'll polish him off. Oh. Like, that, that phrase that gets used now and again in other sure. stuff was derived from an earlier, like one of the early 1850s iterations of oh, this show. Oh, funny. Mm -hmm. Yeah, comes from Sweeney. I love it. I use that in my vernacular often, so that's very nice to know. But I I know I know it's weird, but like- It's a cute duet, but I do love it in that I know that Sweeney is putting on a ruse. I hate it because I know that the judge is actually fantasizing about Joanna. Oh, right yes. We, and it's so... And okay. musically, just his, you know, Sweeney's baritone up against Turpin's, like, tenor is just, like, mm, it gives me the fuzz in my brain that just makes me want to go to sleep. It's so yeah. pretty. I would cut by the sea, if I'm being honest. Me 
too. Ah. So, but here's the thing. I think it adds a, the layer to Mrs. Lovett that allows us to feel a lot more of her journey and where her mindset is. Yeah. But if you took care in your delivery and how how you treated Sweeney all before this, yeah. I think it would read just as much. Absolutely. That, that was her intention. Yeah. So I think you would just have to treat the rest of her scenes and dialogue with care and how she's interacting with Sweeney to convey the same thing. And that would replace this song. I, but I mean, I don't know. I think that, yeah, you could totally lose this and you wouldn't lose any meat. haha, about her character. <laughs> <laughs> I've done this like three times now where I've thrown a pun that I didn't mean to. <laughs> Side plot. Side plot. This is an admission of a blonde moment. <gasps> And I thought this is actually a good moment to admit this publicly on a podcast. Oh, God. So, okay, there's this lovely phrase, right? To make ends meet. Correct. I am an overthinker extraordinaire and a blonde. So here we are. (laughs) Here we are. Let's let's do a quick little history lesson. Even in this era is when this would have been happening. Ends of meat, the end cuts of meat Mm -hmm. were the cheap pieces of meat. Yes, that were sold for less. We've now learned, or the upper echelons have learned, those are actually the most tender pork pieces of meat. Yes. And so when you get beef tips, that's actually a higher grade of want than anything. Sure. To anytime someone told me, oh, I'm, I'm having a hard time making ends meet, I thought it was like a metaphor. Like, oh, you can't even get the meat end. Like, you can't even make enough money to get the end piece of meat, mm-hmm. ends meat, sure. like the ends meat. Sure. That's where my brain went for years. I mean, I can see that. I can see that. But to make ends meet, as in like you take two pieces of string and then put them together and like create the full circle. I never, <laughs> I never got that. That was not what that phrase meant to me. <laughs> Just by the way. I can definitely see where you would think that. (laughs) I was just like, oh, like clearly you're talking about like a historical fact and this is totally just what happened. And oh, you can't even afford the end of the meat. So that makes sense. I'm a blonde overthinker and proud of it. I love that. So hashtag overthinking and proud. No one's gonna hurt you. No one's gonna dare. Others can desert you, not to worry, whistle, I'll be there. Demons will charm you with a smile for a while, but in time... How about weak points? What are weak points in this show? Trying to think back to the stage version that I saw when it most recently... um, The asylum part of it with the wig selling, like, I don't really know what that had to do with it. Maybe. Yeah, I have it as like a question mark yeah. in my notes. I'm sure. going to have to assume it was part of these original like Penny Dreadfuls or it was part of like, yeah. it was something part of the story. Like she got sent away to this and it felt like a weird thing to cut maybe overall. Yeah. yeah, Like maybe, so they were just trying to pay homage to what it was. So maybe it was just always there and maybe something that also maddens Sweeney a yeah. little bit more is yeah. that, oh, you now sent my daughter to an asylum now you're gonna get it yeah just adding more layers onto the cake like fuel to the fire sort of thing and see yeah my weak point with this stage and i said it i think at the top i i don't this i like the idea of this show more than what 
it physically is on stage. Sure. And in in the medium of stage, I don't enjoy watching it as much. I've seen community theater productions of this, more professional productions of this, and I just it doesn't it just doesn't hit me in how <laughs> I need it to hit me ever. It just and doesn't I, hit. I'm so psyched and I'm so excited. I'm gonna see like the slitting of throats and like blood razor and whatever, and then see the body fall down the chute and like, oh, and then it's kind of like, I just feel the anticlimacticness, but for some people, this is probably like it. And so I, I you know, to again, to each their own. I won't yuck your yum. That's right. I, I, for me, this just doesn't hit the same way that other Sondheim shows hit me. So sure. like, I'm not dissing Sondheim. This is clearly a fascinating show and I love themes and things from it. Sure. So I love the idea of the show. I just, I've never enjoyed this in its entirety on stage. I think I'm expecting something more. So until I see that show, and again, I will go watch the show every single time it's available totally. to me. So I just need to see that show that will convert me. So that just means we need to go to New York and we'll watch Josh Groban do it. Ooh, okay. That might do it. What do you think is the strongest part of Sweeney Todd? You know, to be honest, uh, uh, the obsession, I think. It's the truest thing that is stuck to the entire time. So with Sweeney, it's his obsession for revenge. With Mrs. Lovett, it's her obsession for success. With uh, Joanna, or with Anthony, it's his obsession with, you know, love with Joanna mm-hmm. it's her obsession with freedom like everybody has their own kind of thing and it's the truest thing that stays put the whole show that's actually funny uh, my bullet point says everyone's conviction to their character yeah. and I think that's the same thing and I think that's what makes it so interesting yeah because what happens when you have such clear defined characters thrust into one space it's a drowsy chaperone but it's not a celebration yeah it's a it's a serial killer story (laughs) yeah so like it's a complete juxtaposition and so i think that's my favorite part Learn forgiveness and try to forget. Let us see Mr. Todd will be coming to you and me, Mr. Todd, when there's no one else. And life is for the alive, my dear. So let's keep living it. Just keep living it. Really living it. Well, I think the last place we can take this into some Johnny Depths is uh, <laughs> by doing a table read. It's my favorite part. You'll see. They almost all know how to read. You said Johnny Depths. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Do you feel good about that? I feel great <laughs> I, about good. that. Good. I'm glad. Let's oh. take this to some new Johnny Depths. <laughs> <laughs> that will now be part of my vernacular forever. Thank you. You are welcome. <laughs> and he even bowed to me. I did. I did. Oh, God. So good. Hit me with your questions for table read. Well, does this show represent women well? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> no i mean uh, thinking of the only two real or the three real female roles in this show you've got one person who is like obsessed with her business and gaslighting human beings you've got another woman who is 
absolutely hysterical and is like claimed to be, you know, claimed to be hysterical because she's an old woman on the street. And then, you know, the third one is a, a, a naive woman who does nothing but sit and sing out her window and she thinks that's all she's good for. So, no. Not represented well. No. But as we discussed, I think some of these roles are literal resume builders. Like, they're iconic oh, yes. in their own right. Yes. So, like, there are three roles for women here that are are good yeah. so i can't i can't dog it in that way but do do i think we speak well of them no time period yeah yeah but no <laughs> yes, yes but no but no <laughs> nah. <laughs> i shake my head no but i say yes, yes. <laughs> so race um i don't think necessarily that any race matters in this show but do we put the judge in the same place that we just need a shitty f- white guy. <laughs> we need an orange Scrivello DDS. Yeah. Do we do we uphold this in the same way, or are we denying then that? Like, is that does that feel weird? I would like to say that any person could play this role, whether you are a person of color or not. And I would, in my mind, I would hope that everyone would like treat it the same but i know unfortunately that turpin needs to be a shitty white guy when you start placing different people in different things like we always say sometimes adding a person of color in a certain role ups some meaning totally i think it has to be like let's say sweeney is a person of color i think then judge turpin should be a person of color yeah and that way it like levels out i agree know, with way, that yeah. you know what i'm saying like yeah. it just levels out like we're not saying anything is worse than any other thing. It's so funny thinking about um, the film version of this because, you know, um, Alan Rickman, pour one out for your uh, homies. Like, yeah. it's so interesting to see someone of his acting caliber, like, play someone that is so vile and yet still thinks that what he's doing is right. Like, it's just, he's yeah. aggravating and vile. No. There's no way around that. I mean, no way just, around it. Mm. Uh, representation. Mm. I mean, again, if we're thinking of the time period, I don't think that that would have been public knowledge, right? Wouldn't have been a thing. No. Um, Could you do things like do, you know... No, we didn't really talk about him in this show, so we'll have to save him for show notes, but Pirelli has room. Pirelli has room, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. um, To be a representation of some sort. I... Now I know this is weird. I I wouldn't hate... Love it to be played by a drag queen. I would love that. And there's something actually kind of cool about having like a female Sweeney. Oh, is that weird? No, gender bent that. No, even like a let's Joanna with a headstrong lesbian from Rent. Like, let's you know, make it just be like, oh, yeah, right. It wouldn't with this particular story. It would not, for me, it would not deter from the storytelling if we had gender-bent roles, if we had, you know, like, queerness yeah. inserted into it. Because I think the story is... At the is, end of the day, it's all about the obsession. And exa- like you were saying, the strong points of this... I was literally just going to yeah. say that. God, get it, out of my brain. Maybe that, that would actually be really cool. So anyone ever doing the show, please reach out. I want pictures. I want vids. Yes. <laughs> Email us at podcastfromthetop at gmail.com. Send us all yes. of your things. I want to know if this show exists gender-bent. That would be so fun. I, I want it. I, and yes, we'll feature that because that's fun. Does this story hold up without the music? Now, 
I have to say yes, because there's a billion other iterations of this. Uh, fair enough. I, I mean, I would say, does it? Yes. Would I watch it without the music? Because really? Because I feel like you, of all people, being like, oh, my God, Ooh. have you seen that new play about that demon barber who, like, slits people's throats? And, like, <laughs> let's, like, go see it. I think you'd be on board. You know, I mean, now that you say it and put it in the universe, I mean, yeah, probably, of course I would, because I'm obsessed with true crime and murder, and that's all I watch is documentaries, murder documentaries. I recant. Of course I would watch it without the music. God damn it. But would I be sad about it? Because there are many a song that I'm like, absolutely sits in the cockles of where my heart should be. Yes. I just got to call you on your bullshit, you know. Thank you. Because that's why we're best friends. (laughs) Because if I don't have that, then I just run away with my anxiety and insanity. And they take me on journeys far and wide and create obsessions that never would have Everything else good in this world is being stripped from us. They shall not take what I have rightfully earned, that is my anxiety. Oh, I will Christ. not be stricken of my God-given <laughs> right. To overthink any situation yes. and assume that people are mad when they are not. Could this change era, time, or decade? I, yeah. I personally, I don't think so. I I mean, okay, well, the, the, could it? Probably. Do I want it to? No. In- I don't. Yeah. I don't. It's kind of like whenever I'm asked that whenever I ask this question, I start trying to just picture cell phones in like these characters' hands or something. <laughs> like shit. Or like, you know. And I just oh. I don't it would feel weird. Would I want to go see a version of this contemporized in a way? Maybe. Yeah. 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 Like I'd be interested. I don't know if it Maybe would actually... that's the version I've been waiting for. Oh, is a modernized version? <laughs> well, it's funny because now that you mention it, if you moved this into a modern decade, the whole thing with Turpin and Joanna and the Me Too movement and all that stuff, like yeah. that would... That's a big no, Captain. I don't think it would survive. I don't think it would do it. Hmm. I'd have an, to ponder that. It's ponder. a no... It's a no for me, Jan. But... <laughs> You drop little things, and then I desperately try not to laugh, and I just can't not. It's a no from me, Jan. It's a no, but I would be so enthralled to yeah. see wow. Just out of morbid curiosity, I think. Mor- literal morbidity. <gasps> yes. Amateur or professional? Do you think, Ooh. Where, where does this lie? Scale of one to ten. What's the hardest part of this show? I mean, if you're a, you know, a whistleblowing soprano, like any of those songs, (laughs) but I mean, there are some musically, it is difficult with like changing time signatures, a lot of like mouthfuls of words and like being able to get that diction across. I'm hard pressed to give it any higher than a four though. I, that's the thing. So like, yeah, like the hardest part's going to be like the hole in the floor in that chair. Like, yeah. If you have the talent, it's not going to be hard to cast this. So I think no. I think you're right saying it's a four. I might go 4.5. Uh, 50 years from now, will this show still be being staged? You know, I'm going to say yes because it's Sondheim, I think. I'm going to say absolutely yes. <clears throat> I, I think it will. Yeah. What's 50 years in, in this story's tale? Yeah. Like, I think this invokes so much emotion. And as we talked about, this is humans at their worst in a way. And I think we are obsessed with that. 
Yeah. And this is, I think this is something that will stick around and be around as long as musicals are around. Like it's, it's Oklahoma for a new generation. <laughs> uh, don't put this in the Oklahoma category. <laughs> of course, the final fun, absolute best question. Yes. Would we show Sweeney Todd to aliens? Um, 1000% just to watch them get confused. I would. Yeah. Cause I bet I they, would. they would know human history and know that humans have eaten other humans. So I'm yeah, I'm just now like reconciling with the fact they would watch this happen <laughs> and be like, what the hell, man? <laughs> we thought we I mean, well, OK, maybe that they weren't savages, but like we've we've seen some we've seen some stuff and y'all are weird we've been to many planets. And this is f- this is f- <laughs> Uh, we made the film about it, but I think they're the ones who would be saying, nope. <laughs> Attend the tale of Sweeney Todd. Attend the tale of Sweeney Todd. He served a duck and a hungry god. He served a duck and a hungry god. To seek revenge may lead to hell, but, but everyone does it if seldom as well. A Sweeney. A Sweeney Todd. Final thoughts, Miss Mary, on Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street. Oh, this show will always give me goosebumps because, again, that very first chord when it hits is so... It's powerful, and I think it it's it does that specifically because the story itself is powerful because we don't have facts to back it up, right? It's just hearsay, and we all know the power that a rumor can get when people feed into it, and they keep telling it to people, and they keep you know they keep it alive with their own anima. And so I will always go back to this show as I guess kind of a a way to cope with obsession and to kind of check myself a little bit when I get obsessed with something. But I mean, musically, there are a lot of things that are strong about it. I love the the way that the story is told. I will always love, you know, Angela Lansbury and, and Helena Bonham Carter in, in that Mrs. Lovett role. And I think that it it has a place in theater and is a really good representation of Sondheim. I agree that this is like quintessential fodder for musical theater, like a larger than life tale that is filled with so much mystery and drowning in speculation and larger than life characters that just create such a atmosphere themselves. How how can you not have a, a knock out of the ballpark? smash with this sort of thing like i said i love the idea of the show I, I have yet to see that show on stage that really converts me to it but i have faith i have faith one day someone somewhere somehow will this show just truly has that almost like atlantis feel where yeah. it's like is it there did it happen and i don't think anyone will ever know well now my love you know the drill i we've come to the crashing violently like into the meat shop the pie shop to the end of our show but that means that i get a clue for the next show that we're doing what are we doing what are we doing i'm kind of taking us on a small sojourn (gasps) shall we say oh from it's it's still going to be about death. Okay. 
but we're going to abstract it a little bit. Okay. Uh-huh. We're going to um, visit a show um, that I'm pretty intimately familiar with just in its subject matter. Oh. But my clue for you, I'm actually going to take you on a little trip to Africa. <gasps> a trip to Africa? Okay, well, while I ruminate, uh, why don't you drop our socials one more time just yes, for fun? Yes, of course. Yeah, so if you want to follow us, follow the conversation, see all the stupid little fun things we post about Broadway and theater in general. Uh, you know, you don't have to sign a blood contract or anything. Uh, just follow <laughs> us at from the top underscore podcast on Instagram uh, and threads now. And uh, if you have a lease agreement for a barber shop um i really like it just as like a studio <laughs> flat not for anything nefarious or anything you know i just i have this obsession with lofts um so uh-huh. if you could send me that uh to hmm. podcast from the top at gmail.com i'd be really grateful yeah um did i know about your obsession with lofts yeah i'm, mm. I'm pretty pretty lofty you are lofty in all of your things just don't <laughs> take the next time we go out for lunch if you even so much as suggest a shepherd's pie I'm going to freak out. (laughs) Folks, thank you from the bottom of my heart, from the end of my razor, from with all the blood in my body. Steven and I are still unbelievably grateful that we get to do this with you guys every week. So until next time, this has been From from the the top. Top, a Wandering Unicorn production. So if you had to have one of Mrs. Lovett's meat pies, like which pie do you eat? Oh, it's a poet and I didn't know it.